0: welcome everyone this is the nerds rpg variety cast i'm your host jason first up we have a couple calls from previous shows one about our board game episode and one for our sci-fi episode and then one for last episode or i guess two episodes ago whenever i asked about the song that my voicemail song so i'll let rudy take it away with the voicemail song
1: Jason, it's Rudy from RPG Retrofit.
0: Driving home, listening to your latest podcast. I want to guess that that version of the song you're playing in the beginning is it Cyndi Lauper? Kind of sounds like it sounds like somebody putting on a pretty bad fake, like New York accent. But
2: that makes me think Cyndi Lauper. Um, is it a, it's a Blondie song, right? I think. But I enjoy it. But it, it's. it's it, I was actually it was funny before you said something. I was like.
0: I was like, I got to look that up because I want to hear it kind of like louder.
2: Uh, anyway,
0: so far the uh, episode's great. I, I'm at the part where um, somebody's
2: talking about sci-fi RPGs, but I decided to leave this message. All right, brother, see you soon.
0: Rudy from RPG Retrofit, thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, so Josh Beckelheimer got the song. Well, he got close enough, so I, I gave him credit for, for identifying it. But So the song is Hang on the Telephone. It was originally written by Jack Lee and originally played by The Nerves. You are correct that Blondie later played it, and it's most famous probably for Blondie's version of that song. Now, the version I play in my voicemails we talked about previously is done by um, the actress who plays Bernadette on The Big Bang Theory, Melissa Rauch. And it's from the 2017 animated movie Batman and Harley Quinn, where she sings it. So... Thank you so much for the call, though. And now we're going to move on to our friend Colin Green from the Spike Pit RPG podcast.
3: Good episode with our fed there, Jason, talking about board games, and Old Spike Pit's got a little bit to add. I would say the the comments about Fantasy Flight. Oh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. They're not one of my favourite games companies. I think they, I think they're overpriced. They engage in a, a, a bit of price gouging, more or less the seedy drug dealer of the gaming industry. They've got some very attractive things to offer you, but man, they are a big old money sink for family games. I think you could do a lot worse than looking at Days of Wonder, they were the company that got me back into board games and they consistently deliver quality games that seem like they've had some decent play testing.
0: But avoid Cargo Noir! This is Future Jason. So, in my comment to Colin here, I misspeak and I mentioned that Shadows of Brimstone is the first of the modern co-op games. What I meant to say was Shadows of Brimstone was the first of the modern co-op games that I played. So, I, I'm not claiming it Pre- it started the genre or anything what I'm saying is it was the first of the modern co-ops that I personally encountered and played so I apologize for misspeaking when I discuss Shadows over Camelot but I do think if you haven't played Shadows over Camelot and you don't mind playing games of the trader Mechanic you should check it out because it's a really good version of that and I'll take the second to plug another great game with a trader Mechanic Battlestar Galactica which is probably out of print now but the Battlestar Black yeah, Battlestar Galactica board game is a really neat co-op game that again has that trader mechanic in it. So anyhow, let's listen to my answer to Colin. If I was a real podcaster like Colin, I would have gone in Audacity and edited where I said Shadows a Brimstone out and inserted Shadows over Camelot. But since I'm a gorilla podcaster like Dave Aldrich, d Percentile, I'm just telling you now that I screwed up. Hey Colin. Interesting thoughts. I, I mean, I don't like some of the things Fantasy Flight has done. So the limited card games and collectible card games and all that junk I'm not a big fan of. Because they're definitely trying to get all your money when they're releasing a pack every month. And the same thing with what they've done with Star Wars. And even the way they did Descent where they just kept releasing release after release after release. I do like some of their games. I quite liked Gears of War. I believe that was a, one of their da- adaptations. Um, and they have some other games I, I really like. But I, I definitely know understand your point. So, Days of Wonder has some neat games. Um, Memoir 44, that series is pretty good. Of course, a lot of people like the Ticket to Ride series. I'll be honest, I've never played the Ticket to Ride series. Maybe I should do that. I've got it on my phone, but I've never actually played the physical game. Small World I've played, Small World's a neat game. Shadows over Camelot, that's a classic. Shadows over Camelot might be the first of the quote-unquote modern co-op games, even though it's got the built-in trader mechanic. But Shadows over Camelot was one of my early introductions to modern board gaming. And that's a Days of Wonder game. Um, So, yeah, they definitely have some interesting games. I'm not putting them down. They have a lot of Euro games. Which I guess makes sense for you guys to like it since you're over there. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding, just kidding. Um, no, I, 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 don't have a. So there are other game companies out there too, right? So like Frying F- Flying Frog Productions, the Shadows Over Brimstone, which I don't think we now that I think about. It, I didn't talk to Arfet about that. Shadows Over Brimstone, in my opinion, is the modern iteration of Warhammer Quest. And when I say Warhammer Quest, I mean the 90s version, not the things they've released recently. Um, I, I actually like Shadows of Brimstone, but there's so much content for it. I've got boxes. that They have a, a, a separate setting. It's a whole separate game. It's compatible with Samurais and stuff that I haven't even opened. It's just sitting in a box. And I've got expansions for the original game, the Shadows of Brimstone, I have, that are sitting in the box. There's so much content for that game. It's it's unbelievable. Um but I mean I backed I I don't know. I probably have over $1,000 in that game, right? So, it's hard to say. We but we, when you look through some of these other games, yeah, there're definitely a bunch of game companies and some of the smaller companies are really interesting, but you don't hear about them a whole lot. Um the company that did and I'm drawing a blank here and I'm looking for it, and I don't see it. But there are a bunch of other games out there that are good. Um, they are definitely games that I would avoid. So, like Upper Deck. Upper Deck has some good card games. The Legendary Marvel game kind of falls a little bit flat for me. If I want to play superheroes, I'm going to play Sentinels of the Multiverse. Sentinels of the Multiverse, in my opinion, is the best superhero card game, without a doubt. But Upper Deck does the Aliens card game, the Legendary Encounters game. They do a... um, Predator one, and those are great. And you can mix them to do Aliens versus Predator. They do a Firefly one that's good. The X-Files one is okay. You have to know the X-Files, or it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I have the Big Trouble Little China one. I've got the Big Trouble little, Yeah, the Big Trouble Box game, too. So, while I was talking to you, I was trying to look. Victory Games, Victory Point Games is the one I was... Victory Point Games used to sell games that would come in a little baggy. Like a little Ziploc bag, or a little, you know... Baggy plastic baggy. but they have a lot of neat games. They do um, Nemo's War, where you play Captain Nemo when you are going around doing stuff. They they have a lot of solo games, a lot of like solo tactical war little war games that are really good. Some aren't so good, but Victory Point Games is is a neat company. Um, yeah, there is tons of good game companies out there, and and kind of like you and Arfet, I I really like the older Games Workshop games. I mean, some of them, you know, they are what they are, right? When you look at, like the Rogue Trooper board game. That's neat, but it's because it's Rogue Trooper, right? Chainsaw Warrior is neat, but it's neat because kind of that concepts. So it definitely could be redone as a better game. Um, Blood Bowl is a neat Well, Blood Bowl is a minigame, so that's not fair to say. I'll tell you what F- Fantasy Flight did that was really good was Blood Bowl Team Manager. I really like Blood Bowl Team Manager. I think that's a neat game. It's a fun game. Um, but, of course, it's out of production like all their Games Workshop stuff now. Um, another game that I really enjoyed... I thought was fun were what were they called disc it was it was Star Trek Red Alert do you remember this and and basically and it was discs Fantasy Flight or somebody else did it re- more recently before <coughs> summer and they've done it with other things but the Red Alert's my favorite version of that I think that's the right name I'm just walking around with the dogs obviously and but Star Trek Red Alert you had different you had basically a disc two-sided discs <coughs> for all your ships and and they were different size for different size ships, and and to move them you would actually flip the di- so you need to, like get on the floor clear out the floor and get everybody you know crawling around the floor, you could do it on table, and, and you'd flip the discs to show movement so a disc might move three flips or whatever, it, it was just a really neat game. I don't know if you ever played that. Let me know if you've ever played Disc Wars or, well not Disc Wars I think was the original iteration, but like I say the Star Trek one I'm pretty sure it was Red Alert was my favorite version of that anyway that's enough board games we have serious things to talk about on to pete jones and sci-fi tv shows
2: hi jason pete jones here a couple of sci-fi series that i've not heard anyone mention and i think you'd really check out the first one is by jerry anderson that did thunderbirds and all those sort of shows and it was a live action show called ufo from the 1970s ran from about 70 to 73 and if you like Carolyn Monroe. Check out Gabriella Drake in that. She is gorgeous. And it was a good uh, premise for the show as well. The second one I want to recommend was a, a show from in Britain here with Martin Landau called Space 1999 when the moon bolts out of orbit around the Earth. And uh, you're based on moon by yourself uh, with interceptors. Uh, we'll make a cracking um, game as well, that. So those are my two suggestions. Oh, and if you like a bit of comedy, then you can't go wrong without Red Dwarf. So those are my suggestions for you, Jason. See you soon.
0: That was Pete Jones of the Dragons Are Real Podcast. Thank you for those recommendations, Pete. Um, yeah, we, I think we spoke about Red Dwarf here before. Red Dwarf's a great show. Um, Space 1999, interesting. So I have not actually seen Space 1999. I've seen it referenced quite a bit. So I'm going to have to check it out. because I've seen a couple different people recommend it. And also... I was doing a search, there was a show I remember here in the States, I don't know if it ever showed over there, called Space Above and Beyond, and it was basically a group of, it was a, a wing of marine space fighter pilots, US marine space fighter pilots, and um, they were fighting the Chig invasion, the enemies were called Chigs, and it wasn't a very good show, I think there was like, I don't know, one season of it, it was on Fox, but it was interesting. But every time I was trying to search for that, I couldn't remember the name of it. And then Space 1999 came up, and I started looking at it, and it looks like a really neat setting. So I'll definitely have to check that out. So thank you for that recommendation, Pete. I may have failed to mention it, but in the previous episode where Dave Aldrich, your D-Percentile podcast, railed for like seven, eight minutes on what he didn't like about 4th Edition D&D. Well, that was actually the first part of our new segment, What We Don't Like About Role-Playing Games. So in today's segment of what we don't like about role-playing games, Josh Beckelheimer of JB Publishing weighs in on 4th edition, and John Allen Large weighs in on 5th edition. So I'm going to turn it over to those gentlemen. Hey, Josh
2: Beckelheimer here. So everyone's talking about 4th edition,
0: but no one's talking about
2: the huge, huge disappointment of the lack of online virtual tabletop that they promised when that player's handbook came out. Me and my buddy, we were living together, and we saw that. We were so excited. Our goal wasn't to ever play 4th edition at the table. We knew right then, like, heck yeah, we can be on our computers, and we could find a game that we can play together online. And that never happened. And I don't think we ever got around to playing 4th edition because we were just waiting on that virtual tabletop that never came to be. Hey, Jason, it's Jorry's. I'm just listening to your episode where you're talking about board games with Arfet. And some of his comments about 5th edition really struck home with me. Now, that's not to bash 5th edition at all. I know a lot of people enjoy it, and that's fine. Crack on with that. Does me no harm. One of the reasons why I tend not to go to it as my D and D edition of choice is precisely what Arth talked about: the whole idea that at lower levels you still feel pretty invincible. In the fifth-ed game, you've got powers and abilities coming out of the wazoo, and you can, even as a wizard, you can bounce into lots of combats with nary a thought and still walk away. That's a perfectly valid game Star, but that whole sort of superheroic end of the fantasy spectrum doesn't really
0: appeal to me. Anyway, I'm going to get back to the episode. Take care. Today's topic is adapting movies into RPGs. And it was prompted by a voicemail I got. So let's listen to that voicemail.
1: Hi, Jason Barney here. I'm in my cellar looking for my Christmas decorations and I can't seem to find them. Um, calling you... ...isn't going to help that situation much... but uh, ...so I'm doing it anyway... ...but whilst I have been doing it... ...I've been listening back to some of your episodes... ...because... because ...you're you're so engaged in my podcast... ...that I somehow thought... ...I guess that I was listening to your podcast... ...but I basically had completely blind spotted it... ...so I've been going back through yours... Um, uh, ...which is entertaining... ...totally entertaining... Um, what I wanted to say is this Why don't you talk about Captain Kronos, So that we know what you were doing And how you managed to make that feel like A Hammer horror movie Or perhaps how things didn't go In that direction or what Or how that went Give us an episode
0: Thank you Barney As you know Barney has a local Lutas podcast, You definitely should be listening to that Cam Kronos Vampire Hunter Is a Hammer horror movie and if you haven't seen it, I do highly recommend you go see it. It's a great movie. I belonged to a gaming group last year that, because of some family and personal issues on my end, I had to leave. In fact, I left gaming altogether for about a year. But I hope they're all doing well. And last year, I ran a Barbarians Lamoria game forum that was based around the movie Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. And I adopted some aspects. There's a a version of Barbarian's of Lemuria out there called Honor and Intrigue, or Honor Plus Intrigue, done by the same gentleman that does the Bash superhero game. And, it you know, that's for swashbuckling, three musketeers, pirates, that kind of thing. But I copied, I borrowed some fencing and some skills from that, put them in Barbarian's Lemuria to give it a more Renaissance feel, and turned it into Captain Cronus. And it worked really well. Now, my, the saving grace for me when I ran this game was the fact that none of them had seen the movie Captain Cronus Vampire Hunter. So they were blank slates. So basically all I did was rewrite the script into scenes in the video, in the RPG, and it was somewhat of a railroad. They had options. They didn't have to do the things I prompted them. Well, that's not true. I didn't prompt them, per se. I... I Set for a pretty linear story, but they definitely could have deviated from it. If they had, we would have rolled with whatever they did. But it just happened that they followed the story pretty straightforwardly. So I created a you, you know a a guy the a former military guy that was basically Captain Chronos, and had one of the players play him. The hunchback assistant we recreated, and somebody played him. I didn't do Caroline Monroe because it was all guys playing. So what we did is I created a teenage like stable boy that was getting beaten by his master that they came across and the Captain Cronus character freed him and then the kid stowed away in the back of their wagon and kind of tagged along with them after that. So that's kind of how we got them together. And, and that actually was role played out. I, I talked to the the, I kind of prompted the character that was playing the kid and, and said, hey, why don't you do this? And, and he kind of did. The other players jumped right in there, and it, it worked out well. But, you know, basically followed the story of the movie, you know. They got the letter from a doc- The captain got a letter from a doctor friend saying, hey, we're having these problems here in town. Can you come help us? And he did. And so for the scenes, you know, I had him get with the doctor and start doing investigating. I cut out a couple things, and I added a couple things. But they went to the graveyard. They had a fight with the townspeople in the graveyard. You know, they were in the tavern, and, you know, the thugs, Ratface and his thugs, you, you know, accosted them in the tavern and were quickly bested. And, of course, the the doctor got... Well, I don't want to tell you the whole story because you might not have seen the movie. But, Barney, I basically, follow, I basically just... Scripted out linearly the story, you know, and and had them play through, and, and it worked really well. Now, if they had come up with a different solution, we would have done something differently, and and I would have rolled with it because well, I don't know you haven't played in one of my games, I don't think, um, but I do a theater of the mind style usually, where I don't have tactical battle maps or anything. I just put up pictures on the screen. So when, they're, like, when they go to town, I put a picture of the town. And then when they go to the doctor's house, I'll put a picture of the doctor's house. And when they're in the inn, I just put a picture of an interior of an inn and, and describe what's happening. It's all theater of the mind. So I, and I had some extra pictures made up, you know, extra location pictures or maps or whatever. So they could easily have deviated. And I, I would have just rolled with it because I was kind of making it up as I went. In fact, I, I, I keep a handwritten notebook when I run games. And I think I had two or three pages of notes. And Barbarians of Lemuria is a little bit stat heavy. It's a little bit of a heavier system than modern light systems. I still love it. But so I had written up, like the way the vampires were, I had that written up, and the thugs I had written up, and all that. And a couple notes here and there. But I basically ran it just as we went. Because I know the story of Captain Kronos in my head. So I didn't have to write down the plot or write anything down. So I just ran it out of my head, and I was able to, you know, work with them with whatever deviations they did. So it, it was a really good game, but the reason it worked so well was because they didn't know the story. So, you know, that there is that. Um, it, it's kind of like if so, if they had known this, it's, so. Well, here, let me give you an example of another option of a movie somebody might want to adapt to an RPG.
3: I was thinking about a solo
0: adventure based around the graphic novel The Crow. So, you know, a little choose-your-own-adventure, a little RPG, a little dice rolling in there. Uh, You have to figure out who killed you, who ordered the hit, you know, what they were after, and you got to get revenge. And I think that would be super fun, a little... You know, just a little solo thing, because you can't have a party of the crows running around. <laughs> ah, or maybe you could, and you could call it murder. Anyway, that's mine. The Crow RPG solo play. Peace out. Thanks, Joe. And, and if you don't recognize his voice, I, I can't imagine you don't, but that's Joe Richter of the Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe podcast. Here is my question for all my listeners. Some movies are easy to adapt. It, because of the amount of characters in the movie or what it is, right? So Die Hard. Die Hard is easy to adapt. Even though Die Hard is a movie that stars a single hero, it would be really easy to adapt Die Hard to a larger group. If you had three or four or five or even six people in the group, you know, they start off at a Christmas party, you, you just isolate them, you know, get them off to the side for some reason. Maybe they're in a side room playing Dungeons & Dragons during the Christmas party. And, you know, the terrorists hit, and then they have to react, right? So Die Hard is really easy to adapt, even with a larger number of players. But some movies, like The Crow, in Joe's example, are more difficult. Because in The Crow, you have what? You have The Crow, you know, Brandon Lee. You have Ernie Hudson's policeman character, and you have the annoying little kid. And that's really all your main characters. And The Crow, of course, Brandon Lee, is the only one with superpowers. So when you adapt that down to an RPG, it gets a little more difficult. Now, the Buffy Vampire Slayer game, I I never read the Buffy game, but I assume it went the route of the TV show where the other people in Buffy's party ended up being like witches and vampires and having powers. And so in Buffy, they kind of sidestepped the only one superhero route by making more than one person a superhero but you know if we're going to do a game like the, a movie like The Crow how do you adopt that to an RPG now some games have had asymmetrical characters right with different power levels the original um, heh, brain farted there the original Stormbringer RPG was not balanced at all if you were a um, you know a, a, a melibonian i think i said that wrong call in if you know how to pronounce that but if you were that race guess what you were super duper powerful compared to everybody else it's just what it was they didn't try to balance it at all and that's okay and depending on the group that you play with it might be okay in my cap in my cap chrono scheme it, i kind of bounced out a little bit by by the skills so Captain Kronos was good at fencing, and he was a noble, so he was kind of haughty and all that, and the player ate that up. The Hunchback character was really smart, and in fact, he forged a weapon to, to fight the vampire at the end. And then the young boy character was like a thief and able to like sneak in places and do things. And so it worked out because they had different skill sets. But, you know, there are a lot of problems. Look at a lot of noir noir. Detective stories, investigation movies, you have one main character. So it's kinda you have to really work those stories around to make it work with multiple characters. I'd be interested to hear from anybody that has adapted single protagonist um, stories, you know, sort of as one main character, into something that works for a bigger group, like a four to six player group. You know, and like say die hard's easy. But how do you adapt a Mike Hammer movie to. Does, does anybody even remember who Mike Hammer is? I guess I'm showing my age here. Not Stacy Keach Mike Hammer. I'm talking like when Mickey's Plain played Mike Hammer. But anyway, point being, if any were like. Well, Magnum PI, you have a couple different characters, but still Magnum's your main character, right? Um, Spencer for Hire, you have Hawk. I don't know. Anyway, I'd like to hear anybody's, anybody that's adapted stories with a single strong protagonist and successfully adapted those for a large party. And, and any tricks they have, you know, when they did that. I, I know this is kind of broken and stupid the way I'm coming across, and I apologize for that. It's late. I really want to get this episode out tomorrow morning for Barney because I feel bad. I've been sitting on his email for a while. So please excuse, you know, my lack of eloquence here and, and listen anyway for Barney's behalf. So I guess that's about all I have to say on that topic. I know I promised I was going to end the episode, but on listening that again, if I promised to talk about something, went to Joe's call, then talked about something totally different. That's not really fair to you, the listener. So let me clear that up. What I was going to talk about was what do you do when the listeners know the plot of the movie? And in that case, you just need to change something. So let's take Die Hard. You know, if you know your players have seen Die Hard, and let's be honest, they have, you know, you can start, you can describe the building. You can say, hey, you're going to this building and it's, you know, labeled Nakatomi Towers and it's a Christmas party. And they're thinking to themselves, oh, yeah, about Die Hard. And terrorists attack, they're like, oh, yeah, we know what we're going to do here. But then you switch it up and you throw in some monkey wrenches for them. So that's what you can do if they already know the movie. Now, if they don't know the movie, then you don't have to. The screenwriters have already done all the work for you, and that's cool too. But you need to be ready when they take weird angles. So say you're doing Big Trouble in Little China. Unless you're going to railroad the heck out of it, it's not going to go the way the movie did because there's no way the characters are going to make the choices (laughs) that um, Jack and um, shoot. What was his buddy's character's name in that? Wang. The Jack and Wang made in that movie. There's no way. So you need to be ready for your characters to go off script. But if you know the movie well enough and you know the characters well enough, you can just react off So it won't be a problem. There are my dogs, Gadget, and Maddie playing. And so the last thing I didn't talk about that Barney really wanted me to talk about was, how did I get the feeling of Hammer Horror? And I don't know that I did. Um, there were some moments I think my players were weirded out. There were a couple moments with the doctor. they were weirded out. If you know the movie you'll know that. I did do the same thing at the ending where the vampire's gaze had a certain effect. I did that and, and I think that kind of freaked them out a little bit because they weren't sure how they were gonna what they were gonna be able to do and I love them to do a willpower save to overcome that um, but so I, I don't think I ever got a moment of fear through that. But they were definitely confused because the vampires didn't work the way you think vampires work, right? So that was interesting. And, and that was a cool thing with Captain, Vampire, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter is different vampires reacted differently to different things. You know, and, and that's, they were going to make a series of those movies. But anyhow, I, I don't want to drag this out too long. But, so I don't know that I ever really did capture that Hammer Horror feel. I used pictures from the movies when I flashed up pictures and stuff from the movie when I put up pictures and all, and you know, we described the effects and, and I think they had a fun time, but no point were they scared, but at no point during Captain Cronus, are you scared? Cause that's more of a camp movie than a, you know, it doesn't even unsettle you really. So anyhow, I hope that answers your question a little bit, Barney, and I apologize that I've been so tired in recording it, or I've taken so long to record it and I'm so tired when I am recording it. So I, Am coming across as I mentioned earlier, broken and stupid, which is how we used to answer the radio when people do radio checks at three in the morning. said loud and clear. They came across garbled. We say, tell them they came across broken and stupid. Or if they're loud and clear, we'd say lumpy chicken. But nowadays you can't do that kind of thing. Anyhow, I'll talk to you, everybody later on. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you get to spend it with your family or spend it gaming. And if not, I hope you can you can just wrap up with a warm podcast so take care as always the best way to reach me is just leave a voice message on the anchor app where you can reach me on the audio dungeon